0: Good morning again, you guys. Psalm 119 <clears throat> came across this passage in my, one of my quiet times this week, and I wanted to share it with you. It says, "Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast by your appointment." They stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. It's for this reason that we never want to progress from God's word. We just want to progress in loving God and his word more. And it's for this reason that as we gather once a week, Um, for worship on Sunday mornings, we have the word be the central part of the service and the central thing that uh, guides the songs that we sing and the baptisms that we do and the word that we preach. And currently, uh, if you're new with us, we've been going through uh, God's word, specifically the book of Acts for a couple years now, verse by verse, and we are in Acts 20, verse 17 now. And last Sunday, we began to look at Paul's departing words that he gave to the elders at Ephesus. Um, And his main exhortation to them was this. In, In Acts 20, 28, he tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And Paul gives this command in the context of his larger speech in which he is reminding the elders how he shepherded them while he lived among them for three years. And now Paul wants these elders to shepherd their church the same way that he shepherded them. And last Sunday, we looked at the first way that Paul says he shepherded them. Paul served the Lord by living among the Ephesians with humility, tenderness, and courage. So as we look at Paul's speech again this morning, we will identify the four other ways that Paul shepherded the church at Ephesus so that their elders would now shepherd their church the same way. If you got your Bible with you, please open up with me to Acts 20, verses 17 to 38. If you're newer to the Bible, Acts is in the New Testament. It's, um, which is in the last quarter of, of your Bible. And if you don't know how to find the book of Acts, uh, there should be a table of contents in the front of your Bible and that will list the the books and the pages for you. This um, book of Acts was written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a man named Luke, who was a, phys- a physician who also wrote the gospel of Luke. It was written in the first century A.D., so shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he was tasked with the job of carefully interviewing eyewitnesses so that there could be a a historical record, historically reliable record of what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven, and that's what the book of Acts records. So um, that's the context. Let me pray for us before we look at this passage. Lord, we, we thank you for the celebrations that we've already had today in the lives that you've changed and the people who have confessed faith in you and have obeyed you by being baptized. And now as we open your word, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to work mightily through it. Please sanctify us by your truth like you tell us you want to, Jesus, in John 17. Please give us a greater love for you, Lord, and for your people. Please challenge us. Please change us individually and as a church so that we conf- are more and more conformed into your likeness. We just thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for loving us even though we don't deserve it. Thank you for giving us grace. Thank you for saving broken people. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Acts 20, 17 to 38. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, this is Paul, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment And afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship." So let's look now at the second way that Paul shepherded the Ephesians, according to this passage. Paul did not shrink from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. That's the second point. Paul did not shrink from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. And he says it in three or four different verses here. In verses 20 to 21, Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 26 to 27, Paul says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And in verse 32, Paul says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul says explicitly here, he reminds the Ephesian elders that while he lived among them, he did not shrink from doing something. What did he not shrink from doing? Paul did not shrink from declaring to them with words, the whole counsel of God. Now, why didn't Paul? If you look at this, why didn't Paul just tell them, "Remember how I declared to you the whole counsel of God"? He could have said it that way. Why didn't? Why does he have to talk about this shrinking word? The reason is because many elders and teachers and preachers shrink from declaring to their flock the whole counsel of God. God declares very clearly through His Word what is right and what is wrong. And when people hear him declare through his word what is right and what is wrong, many people are offended by God. And as we've seen time and time again in the book of Acts, when people are offended by God's word, they often take out their anger on the pastor or the one speaking the message. And so the question is, how can pastors avoid making people angry by their preaching and teaching? And the answer is to shrink From declaring the whole counsel of God or by twisting the words of God so that the pastor declares a message that makes people happy or by only declaring selective parts of the counsel of God and this is exactly what Paul tells the elders not to do listen you are welcome to change a message if it's your message that you're declaring But you're not welcome to change a message if it's someone else's message that you're declaring, especially if that someone else is God. And Paul wants these church elders to know that even in the face of great persecution, the elders of local churches must continue to boldly declare the gospel entrusted to them. And Paul talks about this uh, later in his letter to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 2, two to four, he says, but though we had already suffered And then later, Paul encourages Christians in general in 2 Corinthians 5 to remember that they are, you are if you are in Christ, ambassadors of God to the world around us. So God has entrusted to Christians the gospel message which they are to faithfully share this great news, this good news message of God as representatives of God to the world around us. And if this charge is for all Christians, then how much more important is it that church pastors faithfully declare the whole counsel of God? Ultimately, pastors must decide whether they primarily want to be ambassadors of God or appeasers of people. And if they primarily want to appease people and only tell them what they want to hear, they should not be elders. And this is why Paul wrote in Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There is not one area of our lives which God does not address in his word. And so God expects the leaders of the church to feed his flock all of God's word. And just so it's clear here, why am I talking about the elders and the leaders of the church specifically? Because that's the context. That's who Paul is talking to in this passage. Much of this applies to all Christians, but I'm trying to correctly apply this passage. And as leaders, as pastors and elders who feed the flock all of God's word and I'm having flashbacks. You think about what Jesus told Peter to do. What did he say? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, right? We present the Bible now to the world through the lens of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And um, whichever part of God's word, any of us, and especially elders, are preaching or teaching, we should seek to show how Jesus is the hero of that passage. That's a really good question that I've been trying to do in my own quiet times, which I encourage you to do as you read the Bible. How do, as I read these verses, how is Jesus the ultimate hero of this passage? Because this is exactly what Jesus did as he taught um, the disciples how to interpret scripture. Remember when he was walking on the road to Emmaus, he showed them how all of God's word points to him. And this is why Paul says in verse 21 here that as he declared the whole counsel of God to the Ephesians, from the whole Bible, what it, how does he bring it to a point? It says he testified to them of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So repentance, turning toward God, turning your life toward God and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. See, Bible teachers and preachers do their listeners, their flock, a a great disservice when they only tell their audiences what to do without telling them what Christ has already done for them. You hear that? It's a very important thing to look for in preaching. If all you do is go to a church and they tell you, here's five ways to make your marriage better, here's ten ways to know God deeper, here's three ways to be a better Christian, They're preached, listen, some of that is helpful. We need to know that. However, it must be undergirded by the gospel that Jesus has already done it perfectly for us. It's crucial. Otherwise, our message really isn't that different from many of the religions of the world. Many religions teach you how to be moral. Our message isn't different in that we point to Jesus as the one who has done it for us, and we point to us as the ones who can't ever do it perfectly. See, moral teaching must never be separated from the gospel. This is one of the reasons I'm really excited about the gospel project that we're teaching kids. Moral teaching must never be separated from the gospel because the gospel first says, We have not been moral. That's what our kids need to know first. You have not been moral. You've not been good, and neither have I. And it's because of our immorality that Jesus came to earth and died on the cross to suffer God's eternal punishment for our immorality. It's not because God saw in me the ability to be a moral person. You are such a good person that I'm going to come die for you because I see what you can be. No. He came out of his grace to save sinners because he's an incredible God who loves us and shows mercy and compassion to us even though we don't deserve it. And further We can't be righteous, can't be righteous like God is righteous unless the resurrected Christ raises our dead hearts to life and gives us faith in him in a desire to obey his teachings. And just like Paul says, we must repent or turn away from sin and turn the other direction to Jesus in faith. This is how a person can be saved by the Lord, by turning from sin and by turning to Jesus in faith. The gospel message that we're talking about here is the good news of God's grace to which Paul commends the elders here in verse 32. Paul wants the elders to marinate their church in the gospel. Because the gospel, he says, is able to build up, it's able to strengthen, it's able to encourage the church. And only the gospel, he says, can give people the inheritance of eternal life with God. People need the gospel. We all need the gospel. And in Acts 20:20, 20, 20, Paul reminds the elders that he declared this gospel with the whole counsel of God to the Ephesians how? He says, "Well, both in public and from house to house." So in other words, Elders declare and apply the gospel in general ways to the entire flock publicly in a setting like this, and elders should declare and apply the gospel in more specific ways depending on who they're meeting with in private. And this is very similar to how a shepherd cares for his flock. In a general sense, all the sheep need the same care. They they all need to be fed. They all need to have water to drink. They all need to have shelter. They all need to be protected. And I'm sure some of you shepherds here could tell me much more that they need that I don't know because I'm not a, a shepherd of real sheep. But at the same time, each sheep is a little bit different. And I'm sure some of you know who have animals that each animal can have a little bit different personality and a little bit of some different quirks and certain sheep have unique needs. So consequently, the shepherd needs to apply a different type of care to different types of sheep. You care for a sheep with a broken leg differently than you care for a sheep with a thorn in its foot, different than a sheep that's being obstinate, different than a sheep that's not eating enough. And in the same way, elders must know the whole counsel of God so that they can apply the right medicine from God's word, To individual sheep at just the right time. And that's not just for elders, that's for all of us. So Paul urges the Ephesian elders to follow his example and not to shrink from declaring to the flock the whole counsel of God. Third, Paul tells the Ephesian elders that he endures all sufferings for the sake of the gospel, he endures all suffering for the sake of the gospel. He tells them in Acts 20, 22 to 25, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So Paul tells the elders here that following Jesus, uh, obeying Jesus' call on your life is a spirit-led journey, okay? Uh, Following the Holy Spirit into all righteousness is hardly ever easy or pain-free. And that is something that should probably be shared in more of our gospel declarations that following Jesus is hard. On the contrary, Paul says that the Holy Spirit constrains Paul, testifies to Paul that because Paul is courageously following God, then imprisonment and more afflictions await him. And that being said, look at Paul's reasoning though in verse 24 for for why these afflictions and sufferings do not deter him from obeying God. First, he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. So Paul says that he does not consider his life worth saving, worth sparing at all costs. More than that, he, he, he considers his own life, he says, of no value in comparison to the glory of Jesus Christ and to making the glory of Jesus Christ known throughout all of the earth. Paul wrote in Philippians 2.17, remember, uh, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. So Paul's attitude toward affliction, although not stoked about it, (laughs) Paul is glad to sacrifice his own life for the glory of Jesus and for the spread of the glory of God's name on earth. What a different message this is than so many people are taught. To preserve your life at all costs. To work hard to have all the same things your neighbors have. To make your primary goal in life to be comfortable and problem free. So you can be very successful. You just want to be careful not to be very successful at all the wrong things. Book titles like Live Your Best Life Now do not reflect Jesus' teaching if by that title you mean that you should have every earthly possession and pleasure in this life and after this life. A motto that's more faithful to the teaching of the New Testament would say give away your life now because you're not promised later. You're not promised later. Or in Jesus' words, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Paul says in verse 24 that, that much more than living a long, comfortable life, what he really wants, more than anything else, is to be faithful to the Lord. Even if by being faithful he lives a shorter life and a more uncomfortable life, and a life of suffering. Paul says he wants to run the race well. He wants to finish the course well. He wants to be faithful to do his part to fulfill Jesus' great commission to testify the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so the application here for Christians and especially elders in this context is to consider Jesus more precious than all earthly pleasures and sufferings. Consider Jesus infinitely more valuable than the pleasures of this earth and the sufferings of this earth. And if you exalt Jesus to the highest place in your heart, he will give you a joy in suffering and he will help you persevere as you suffer for the sake of the gospel. And as you think about the, all the different types of local churches around the world, Paul might say this to them in 2019, Expect to suffer all types of sufferings. Don't be surprised when trouble arises in your church. Don't be surprised when you're personally attacked. Expect to be hated. Expect to be mocked, Christian and elders. Expect people to gossip about you. Expect to be hunted down. Expect to be arrested. Expect to die for the gospel. But in all these things, stay faithful to the Lord and to his word and to his people. Yes, you must suffer as an under shepherd of God's flock, but rejoice, for very soon you will receive your eternal reward from him. And the same goes for the whole church. So while he shepherded the Ephesians, Paul endured all sufferings for the sake of the gospel. And we know that as Paul traveled around and encouraged the other churches throughout the Mediterranean, that was one of his main issues, uh, main messages, he said, you guys keep believing, keep the faith, keep enduring in the face of suffering. Fourth, Paul protected the Ephesians from wolves and from false teachings. Paul protected the Ephesians from wolves and from false teachings. In verses 29 to 31, Paul tells them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul here warns the elders that wolves will come in from the outside and they will not care about the well-being of the flock. They will not care about individuals. They will not care about the church as a corporate body. They, They will not spare the very flock that Jesus, the great shepherd, laid down his own life for and purchased with his own shed blood. That will make no difference to them. And then notice what Paul says in verse 30, because he says it a second time. Not only will wolves come into the flock, but also they will come in from among the leaders themselves. In general, shepherds who act like wolves can do a lot more damage to the flock than sheep that act like wolves. And Paul says that the main thing that the wolves will do is speak Twisted things with a goal to try to draw away Christians after them. One way that wolves speak twisted things is by teaching doctrine or teaching that contradicts Scripture, that goes against Scripture. And Paul warns that the wolves will try to convince sheep of their false teaching to draw them away from the teaching, the orthodox teaching of the church. And most often, wolves do this in a very subtle way by mixing lies with the truth of Scripture. This way, sheep will be convinced that they're following the Bible by following the wolves. Some examples of false teachings that have drawn away many self proclaimed Christians throughout the centuries include well, there's been a lot, but teaching that Jesus is not God. Teaching that Jesus is half God. Teaching that Jesus is one of many gods. Teaching that Jesus' death on the cross only partly paid for our sins. The teaching that you can pray to dead people who are able to persuade Jesus to do what you want him to. The teaching that God has inspired other sacred books besides the Bible. And on and on and on. It is good to learn some church history so that you can know what What battles has the church already fought in 2,000 years? Uh, In the 2,000 years of its existence here post-Jesus' ministry. Um, In his second letter to Timothy, one of Paul's mentees, Paul wrote, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And fierce wolves have been attacking local churches ever since Paul's day. That's why several of Paul's epistles in the New Testament are already a rebuttal to the wolves into the churches of the false doctrine they've already teaching, they've already uh, embraced. And Paul hasn't even been gone that long from the churches. False teachers have espoused false teaching in the name of Jesus ever since Paul's day, and this is so. This is why Paul says it's so crucial. Um that elders are tasked with being alert and keeping an eye on the flock and the teaching. It's why it's so crucial that Christians stay fiercely loyal to the Bible and not to other writings or to other traditions or to other teachers. God has only preserved in the Bible his perfect revealed word for us. Another way that wolves speak twisted things, in addition to teaching um, unorthodox theology or doctrine, is by creating division in the church and subverting the leaders of the church in order to draw people away. By creating division and subverting the elders in the church in order to draw people away. See, a person doesn't have to be driven by false doctrine to want to divide a church. He or she might just want power, or recognition, or revenge. And Paul wants the Ephesian elders to know that these wolves are dangerous to the flock. So he says, be alert. And he reminds them of, 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 of what his alertness looked like when he was with them. He says, remember for three years, night and day, in, with tears... I admonished everybody about false teachers and false beliefs to stay true to the word and to the gospel. That's what you're going to need to do now, now that I'm leaving. In America, in 2019, protecting the flock, protecting a local church from wolves is more of a challenge than ever. Many Christians in our country argue that Christians do not need the local church. They argue that they do not need the kind of shepherding and careful attention that Paul commands here. And all the while, false teachers and wolves abound on YouTube and on our TVs and books and blogs and iTunes. And so remember, there's one more sermon to this series. And so in my next week sermon, I want to dive into this a little more deeply and talk about some of the measures that our church here at Cedar Home has taken over the past 129 years to protect itself from false teachers and from wolves in sheep's clothing and from bullies. In short, guarding ourselves against wolves is one of the reasons why our church has chosen to adopt a church statement of faith and a short covenant that summarizes New Testament teaching on how we ought to do life together and why we have adopted an elder-led congregational church structure. And I'll talk about that more later on. But it's very important for everybody to know this is, these things are not done because we've always done them. We do this to fulfill Scripture, to obey the Lord, to do what Paul commands us to do, which is ultimately coming from God through Paul. So Paul commanded the Ephesian elders to Follow his example of protecting the flock from false teachings and from wolves. In fifth, Paul reminds the Ephesian elders that he sacrificed much, he worked hard, and he gave generously in order to care for weak Christians. Paul sacrificed much, he worked hard, he gave generously in order to care for weak Christians. In verses 33 to 35, Paul told the elders, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things i have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the lord jesus how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive So Paul makes it, what he's doing here is, one thing is, he's making it very clear that his ministry was not fueled by financial greed. He was not driven, he says, by a desire to acquire money or fancy clothes is what he's talking about. Paul's motives and his model of ministry we're diametrically opposed to today's health and wealth preachers in America and all around the world hear that what Paul's espousing is the exact opposite of what health and wealth preachers in our country and around the world are espousing so here's a good takeaway for us do not follow or listen to any preachers or teachers whose standard of living is significantly higher than most of the people in your church Don't listen to preachers or teachers who urge you to give money to their ministry so that God will subsequently make you rich. Do you understand that when they're doing that, they're appealing to greed in you? Listen, have an eternal mindset on the kingdom of God. You're going to be rich in heaven. Understand that? You will be rich. You're going to have all that you need in heaven and more but that is gonna be peacetime at that point for you. And right now it's wartime because there's a spiritual war going on on earth and in heaven for the souls of people. And God wants us to use our resources now to fight for his glory and for the souls of people. And so we've gotta live sparingly so that we can use our money to spread the gospel, to support missionaries and to take care of one another. Paul said that his ministry was characterized by great sacrifices and hard work. He says he did not even demand the church to take care of him, which he later writes that he had every right to do. Instead, Paul and his ministry partners worked hard, most likely at tent making or leather making, so that he and the church could give more, so that they could give generously to, specifically here, weak or poor Christians. Think about this, Paul worked hard in order to give generously. Hear that? Paul worked hard to give generously. I know a lot of you, you're hard workers. And listen to this, today's passage though. This is very different. He didn't work hard to hoard greatly. He worked hard to give generously. And he tells the elders, always remember the words of the Lord. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so who's he talking to here? Elders. So the elders of the church must not be greedy, but also they should lead the flock in giving and in giving money generously and sacrificially. They should be an example to the flock who will hopefully see that giving generously to the Lord and to his church is a wonderful part of following Jesus. It's central to being a disciple of Jesus. It's why Jesus talked about money so much. And I, I, I'll tell you, I'm so thankful to be part of a church family that takes care of one another well. When needs arise, we have each other's backs. And I'm thankful to be part of a church that so generously gives to missions. And we want, but God willing to, keep expanding and growing that, our ability to give to missionaries. I'm glad to report that last Sunday we collected $2,000 to help the Weeby family with their medical bills. And we also collected several hundred dollars to help churches in Swaziland, which is gonna make a big difference to them too. Taking care of the poor is not the gospel, but it is linked very closely as a consequence of believing the gospel can't get them mixed up the gospel is primarily about jesus what he did to save us and who he is now as our reigning king but you man i'm reading through the old testament right now god cares greatly about the poor and he cares greatly that his people are a voice to those who have no voice and who care about doing justice and so I'm so thankful you guys as a church that we care about that too and we wanna to continue to preach the gospel boldly while also at the same time as, a, as the overflow of that belief, taking care of one another well and giving resources generously to see God's name embraced and exalted across the earth. So in today's passage, Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders to shepherd the flock the same way he shepherded them We've gone over, yeah, four ways. Let me read all five. First, Paul served the Lord by living among the Ephesians with humility, tenderness, and courage. Second, Paul did not shrink from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. Third, Paul endured all sufferings for the sake of the gospel. Fourth, Paul protected the Ephesians from wolves and false teachings. Fifth, Paul sacrificed much, worked hard and gave generously in order to care for weak christians so in my next sermon i hope to bring this passage home even more and talk about how excuse me all of the last two sermons play out real practically here at cedar home and you know as we thank god for this flock here at cedar home and 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 for the shepherds that he has called to care for this church We also want to lift our eyes up to the Lord and to thank him for being our perfect, eternal shepherd. Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of these five things. Jesus glorified the Father by leaving heaven to live among us on earth. Jesus lived among us with all humility, with all tenderness, with all courage. Jesus did not shrink from declaring to us the whole counsel of God. Jesus endured all sufferings, being mocked, beaten, flogged, punched, spit upon, stabbed, crucified, bearing our sin and God's wrath toward our sin, which he did all for the glory of God's name and for the sake of our eternal freedom and our eternal joy. Jesus laid down his life to protect us from the wolves of hell. Jesus sacrificed everything, worked out perfect obedience to God's law, and gave everything in order to care for and save weak, sinful people like you and like me. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus today, I urge you to do so because you want to come under the protection of this shepherd, and you need him more than you possibly know. He loves you and is calling you to come into the flock and be saved. Would you guys please stand with me as we ask the Lord to to bless us as we end our time together? Dear Lord, we declare that you are God and the whole earth is yours. Thank you, God, for coming to earth, for laying down your life to rescue us from sin and Satan and hell and death. Thank you for coming to earth to give us new life, eternal life in you. Lord, help us to love you. Help us to love one another. Help us to love our enemies. We thank you for this flock here at Cedar Home. Thank you for all the lives that you have saved and are transforming into your own image. And now, Lord, we pray this blessing from the book of Hebrews upon our church today. May you, the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip us with every good thing that we may do your will, working in us that which is pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Thank you for coming today.